0: as a writer, how do you define story? What value do you place on context? I hope you're ready to learn a few aspects of story you may not be familiar with. Today's guest is going to rock your writing world. Stick around. This encore episode of Your Best Writing Life begins right now. Welcome to Your Best Writing Life, an extension of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference held in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb. Each week I bring you tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help you excel in your craft. I am so very glad you're listening in, and I'm going to tell you, you're going to be very glad you're listening in today as well. During this episode, you're going to learn about what story actually is my industry expert is a critically acclaimed best-selling author of 18 novels. Stephen James Stephen has served as a contributing editor to Writer's Digest magazine, and is the author of the groundbreaking nonfiction books Story Trumps Structure and Troubleshooting Your Novel. When he's not working on his next book, Stephen teaches novel writing intensive retreats across the country with New York Times best-selling author. Robert Dugoni, and hosts the weekly podcast, The Story Blender, on which he has interviewed more than 200 of the top storytellers and writers in the world. Stephen James, welcome to Your Best Writing Life. It's great to have you here.
1: Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Today, Stephen, we're going to be talking about what story actually is. And I understand that you have recently changed your view on what story is. Tell us about that.
1: Well, interestingly enough, years ago, back in the 90s, I got a master's degree in storytelling. And I've taught writing and storytelling ever since then, really, for decades. Uh, Wrote two books, as you mentioned, on the craft of writing stories. And uh, only as I was working on a recent book, about a year, year and a half ago, did I really start to say there's nothing wrong with what I was thinking in terms of story. But I felt like I was missing something. And so I finally I figured out, I guess, what it what it is. And so a lot of people will think of story uh as simply a progression of events, like first act, second act, third act, right. inciting incident, rising action, dynamo, And so they basically look at story just simply through a temporal lens. And I started to wonder: is there a way to understand story on a more elemental level? which isn't based so much on the progression of things but on the core elements of a story. And so anyway, in in my view, I've I've come up with what I feel like are the four factors that are present in every story and the two additional elements that are in all great stories. So like I don't think you can have a story without each of these four elements, and I don't think you can have a great story without the final two. Do you want to hear what they are?
0: Oh, you know, you've got me sitting on the edge of my (laughs) pen here. I mean, I'm ready to write it down. Tell me, tell me.
1: So, well, actually think of um, a square. So you have four sides, two square. Take one away. It's no longer a square. So the first four uh, aspects of story don't maybe seem super like amazingly um, novel, but character obviously is important. You need a character. You can't have a story. So stories always have characters. Uh, second is a setting and time and place. So setting is always geospatial. It's not just when something happens, but when it happens, where it happens. So it's, it's both. So again, those seem like kind of like, of course, you, you need those things. Now, a lot of people would say plot is the third element, but I actually don't agree with that. So I believe that the, the third element that a story needs is struggle. Mm. That if you have no struggle, you have no story. You can certainly have a list of things that occur. You can certainly have the first act, the second act, and third act. But if you don't have anything going wrong, you actually don't have a story. You have a report. Mm. Um, and so, uh, so the third is a struggle. And then the the fourth is actually pursuit, and this delves into a character's unmet desire. So all characters within a story have uh, a desire that drives their choices. Um, They have an intention. So I sometimes tell people that every character enters every scene hoping for something. Now, if your story doesn't have that, you might not know what the story is about. And your readers certainly don't because stories are about intention-infused action. They're always about a character's pursuit. And so a story isn't just a list of events occurring, It's always something being pursued because of an unmet desire within the Mm -hmm. character and the choices that they make. And so really those four are what I would say, you say, maybe someone would say, well, what's plot then? Plot is simply the pathway the character takes through the setting during the struggle within his pursuit. Mm -hmm. So those four, you can have a story with just those four elements. And a lot of stories just have those four and they're very forgettable They're not really uh, impactful, but I would still say they're stories. And so if you want to actually elevate your story, make it three-dimensional, I feel like you need to move from a one-dimensional square to a cube. So a cube has six sides. So I believe that all great stories and even scenes within a story will have all six elements. So if you're working on a, let's say, a novel or maybe even a nonfiction story, Uh, or a scene within your story, you can actually look at each one of these six elements and see if they exist within your scene. And if they don't, you can immediately know what to change and how to fix the scene to help make it work. So the last two elements, um, one is what I call the pivot. And the pivot is one of the most essential aspects of a story and one of the least taught. A pivot is really the moment where something that is unexpected and yet inevitable occurs. So it's, it's not just, um, maybe it could be a twist, but it could be a twist on a familiar type of story, say a parody or whatever. It doesn't ha- necessarily have to be like a huge pulling the rug out from underneath the reader twist, but it's always going to be something that we don't see coming. But when it comes, it's logically tied to everything that precedes it. For instance, uh, let's say you're writing a story and it's an Amish romance and you have a scene at the end where these uh, aliens land and they shoot all the cows with photon guns and take off. Well, that would certainly be unexpected, but it's probably not inevitable with the story. On the other hand, let's say that you're writing a mystery and the the big reveal at the end is that the killer switched guns so that the cop's gun was actually the one used in the crime. Well, if, if readers are reading it and like 50 pages in, they're like, I think I know what the big twist is. I think the guy just switched the guns. Then they get to the end. They're like, oh, wow, that was amazing. The guy switched the guns. Well, that's certainly inevitable, but it was not unexpected. So you can see that in each of those examples, only one of those two aspects was true. It was either inevitable or it was unexpected, but it wasn't both. So in order to tell a great story, you have to have moments where it's both. Otherwise it's too predictable or too outlandish. And we want to predict where story will go as readers. We want to anticipate, but we want to be wrong. We want there to be surprises that satisfy us along the journey. And so when you look at a scene, you can ask yourself, is there a pivot in the scene? If not, it's probably too predictable or too outlandish. And you probably need to still work on that scene or the book say the novel or maybe a memoir, whatever it is in between. And and so finally, the last aspect is what I call payoff. And uh, payoff is really, it can change or be different depending on different genres. So for instance, um, if you're uh, writing a romantic story, uh, story, rom-com, or whatever it might be. Maybe just a smile or maybe a tear at the end or a laughter. Those can be payoffs. Let's say you're writing a really tense thriller. Well, it might be white knuckle suspense as the payoff. Or a horror story uh, might be the plummet of hope at the end is the payoff. So the payoff can all depend on the story. And it has to do with the voice and the skill of the storyteller and all of these aspects. So so you can look at the scene or the story and say, okay, is there payoff here? Is there a moment where things mean more than what maybe we anticipated or what what um, what it seems to be? So I can give you a quick example of how this stuff plays out. So there was a guy who, uh, this is an old teaching story from the Middle East. So there was a man who basically felt like people should show more attention. He was really... Hungry and nobody brought him any food, and he was frustrated about it. And so one day he went into the jungle to look for some food, and all of a sudden he sees this fox with no legs. And he's like, That's strange. There's a fox with no legs, and kind of watches for a minute. And pretty soon, this tiger finishes eating his meal and drags a bunch of meat over for the fox. And the guy's like, I've never seen that before. I wonder what that's all about. So the next day, he's like, I wonder if that'll happen again. So he goes back. To the jungle, and there uh, sees this fox again, and pretty soon the the tiger drags over some meat and leaves it again for the fox. And the guy's like, "I think I know. I think I know what this means." So he goes home and he waits for someone to bring him some food. He waits. Nobody shows up. No one shows him attention. Nobody brings him anything until finally he's starving. He's on death's door, and he hears a voice—the voice of God—that says, "Didn't you even understand?" You were supposed to be the tiger. So have a character with a struggle. Uh, He wants food and attention and so on. You have his pursuit. He goes in search of that. And uh, you have a setting, the, the, the jungle where it all occurs. So if you just told the story up until then, it wouldn't be a very engaging story. A guy was hungry and he went in a jungle looking for food and didn't find anything. He saw a weird, you know, example of a fox and a tiger and he went home. That's not much of a story. And so the pivot comes, of course, at the very end, when you hear you're supposed to be the tiger, suddenly you're like, Oh, we should be showing affection, attention, helping others, and all of these things that the guy probably should have known. And that's what brings meaning. It isn't being served as it as much as it is serving. And so so the, then, the payoff and the pivot actually come kind of at the same moment at the very end of that of that old story. That's how you look at at stories. So I'm always looking for those, especially those last two elements. Does it have a pivot, and does it pay off? And they can, like I say, you know, happen in the same moment. Maybe not, but it just it just depends. And that's what makes a story worth retelling.
0: No, this is great, and I like the cube concept because everything that we do needs to be three dimensional so why why not the element or aspects of story i think that that's that's great now you are you you say that story trumps structure tell us a little bit about that
1: well a lot of people will give lots of rules about story and it has to have three acts or or they'll kind of get this Kind of knowing look in their eye, and they'll they'll say a story is something with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I'm sitting there thinking, everything has a beginning, a middle, and I'm like why is that sound <laughs> so? Good? Why is that to you so profound? Like it doesn't really help me when I'm writing my novel to, to right. think that. So, so anyway, um, I started to really ask myself, well, what is it that makes a story work? And I think with the story cube idea. We're not focused so much on the formulaic approach of telling a story and at page, you know, 20, introducing subplot B or whatever it might be. As you've maybe seen, there's formulas and templates out there, plot templates and all of these kind of things. I think we need to have, actually have a fresh look at story and, and when our story includes these elements, it can be very short, it can be very long, but it can also be very profound. So it isn't, I don't think story is about following some sort of predetermined template. Um, but I feel like story is uh, is different than that. It, story can be deeper than that. And, uh, but story has typically, I would say, you know, these elements within it that actually um, can occur in different order and, and so on. So I, I feel like it really is sort of a, a way of I don't know, breaking down the walls and saying, okay, let's tell some fresh, unique, different, interesting type stories, not just the three act stories we've always been taught we have to do, but instead let's just develop new forms that actually will impact culture in new ways.
0: No, this is really good. This is great. You know, Stephen, I like how you're getting our mind to switch gears here. And you're helping us to step outside of that story writing box, as they say. So I'd like you to, when, when we're looking at the cube concept, where should our writer mind go as far as do I start here? Do I, I know we just talked about that st- structure is not as important as story, but walk us through a little bit of what you do. What, what have you found that works really good for you? Well, as I
1: write, I'm constantly asking myself questions uh, that direct the story. Of course, I don't outline or plot anything out before I start to write. And so it's an organic process. And as I'm writing, I'm asking myself, what would this character naturally do? Uh, what? How can I make things worse? <laughs> Basically, build up escalation. Um, and then also... How can I add a pivot? How can I add that moment that we don't see coming within the scene? So I'm playing with expectations. Like I know readers will naturally be expecting something to happen. Well, I don't want that to happen in the way that they anticipate. I want something, I want there to be surprises. And so I'm always looking for the pivot. And then finally, I always ask myself, what promises have I made that I have not yet kept? And so we make narrative promises either by stating them or implying that uh, something will be significant to the story. So I might say, I might have one character say to another, I'll see you tomorrow at 12 o'clock at the police station for the briefing. Okay. Readers expect there will be a scene tomorrow at the police station, and and they look forward to it. Or there might be something dramatic that comes up that postpones it or cancels it. But But that's a way of making a stated promise. Basically, I'm telling the readers there's going to be a scene in the future in this place. Uh, the other way is, of course, implying something is significant. So you could have one character say to another, that is an amazing spear gun you have. And the other guy's like, yeah, no kidding. This thing is the X6000 German engineered spear gun. What? The X6000? I didn't even know they'd move past the X3000. He's like, yeah, this sucker can shoot through a cement block wall. Wow. That's amazing. All right. So if you do that whole thing with the spear gun and you never have anyone shoot the spear gun, readers will feel like you let down. They'll be falling let down. They'll feel like you broke a promise because you actually made an implied promise that the spear gun will have something significant to do with the story. So this is how we, we build promises within our stories through stated and implied, you know, significance and very often We draw attention to something through magnitude and specificity. When we draw a lot of attention to it or very specific attention to it, readers expect that there will be some significance to that. Okay, so as I'm writing, that's what I'm asking. Like, have I introduced something, like I made a promise here that I need to fulfill later? Uh, What would this character believably say, do, think, actually, feel, those those, uh, sorts of things? and so then uh the story will grow as i continue to sort of unfold it based on believability, escalation, causality, that is the cause and effect nature of stories or contingency and and also the promise making and fulfilling and then the twists and surprises along the way.
0: When you were talking earlier you also mentioned research and Knowing your subject matter, knowing what you're writing about, knowing that if there is a spear gun X6000, da 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 da, perhaps there is, perhaps there isn't, to be able to make sure that everything plays out correctly, that if there is one, that it can go through concrete, or that the idea that it will work as we lay out in our scene that it will work. How important is research to you? especially when you're saying that your writing kind of grows, the context uh, in the writing grows organically. Do you do a lot of research ahead of time or to know your subject enough? And I'm asking you multiple things here because that's what's going in my head. And I'm trying to visualize if Stephen James has like a sticky board where he's (laughs) like, you know, what'd be really cool. I'm going to have this happen. I don't know where it's going to happen, but I'm putting it on a sticky note and I'm sticking it over here. Does that go through your head at all?
1: Okay. So first of all, research, I think occurs both before and during uh, when I'm writing at least. So I'll have an idea. I'll have a premise or a question. I might say, that'd be interesting to write about. And and so then I'll usually do some research, but of course I won't know where I'm going because I don't know the ending when I start. And so as I write, then, you know, new questions will come up and I'm, I wonder what, you know, what would happen in this instance or the circumstance or research about this thing. And, and so, yeah, then I will, you know, take some time to look into those, you know, aspects of the story. Um, as far as like coming up with ideas, then actually using them, I, I don't, Specifically, use sticky notes, but I do have notebooks, <laughs> of course, with lots of ideas. And right, and yeah, and, and I kind of feel like when you're writing a book, use every great idea that you possibly can. Like, don't save something, saying, "Oh, well, maybe down you know another book, I can do this." I mean, if it's a great idea, maybe it should. You never know if this will be the last book you ever write, and so right, I try to tap myself out in every book to come up with the most you know i don't know amazing not amazing but like the, the most poignant stories the biggest twists and so on and then i just trust that the next book you know i'll come up with something different but but i don't hold back if you've got um, an amazing idea for a character scene setting and so on uh, i would say you know see if it works organically for your story and if not then you know save hold on to it then but if you can you know use it now tell the best story possible right right now
0: and I can hear in your voice that writing organically is kind of your passion. When yeah. when you sit down, do you sit down and say, I'm going to write for, I'm going to write for an hour, then I'm good. Or do you just go until what you said, until you're spent, until you're like, okay, I've exhausted all of that. I mean, I
1: don't go by words per day. Like a lot of people will be like, I'm going to write a thousand words today or 2000 words or wh- whatever it might be. But I don't find that as helpful. Because Mm -hmm. when I'm writing, I do revise quite a bit. And so I might get to the end of the day and be like, oh, wow, I've spent 10 hours and I have one more word written. That's amazing. So that's discouraging. So instead, I just go by uh, hours. You know, I might say today I'm going to write for four hours or six or two or whatever it is I decide. And then I actually set a timer so that at the end of the day, I can say, "Okay, look, I'm six hours closer to, you know, finishing this book like that. And so I don't try to worry, you know, so much about what the final product will be because I don't know exactly how many words it will be and, and so on like that. So I'm really just trying to watch the story unfold as, as I write it. And the reason I seem kind of passionate about organic writing is there's so many times, so many places, books and so on about following a specific template, format, outline, all of these things And so like when I was working on the book, Story Trump Structure, I was like, well, I get, there's plenty of stuff out there on plot and structure. Okay. Right. But what is there on organic writing? And literally, I probably have a hundred books on writing on my shelf. And literally I found two pages on how to write organically out of the hundred books, thousands and thousands of pages, you know, and those two pages basically said, you'll probably have to revise more and uh i what there was one other thing i was like that's not even true and so uh, you know it was ridiculous so so because there's such a vacancy on writing organically uh and i feel like it'll help people write better stories in less time uh yeah i i would recommend you know writing organically to just about anyone Uh, i know a lot of people like to have you know um sort of an outline and and then they'll start writing organically but i always say like fear will always drive you back to an outline so a lot mm. of writing is risk a lot of writing is is you know venturing one step at a time into the unknown and you just don't know uh, right. you know exactly where it will go and characters you know emerge and disappear and, and speak to you and i think that's good you now some people will say well you don't don't write organically because you might write yourself into a corner I'm like, absolutely, you should totally write yourself into a corner in every <laughs> single book. Like, I can't imagine writing a book and not writing myself into a corner. I feel like all of the best twist ideas, the best character ideas have always come to me when I'm in a corner. So why would I warn people about going into the place where the best ideas await them? That's ridiculous. So, so yeah, I would say definitely you want to ro- you want to follow rabbit trails. You want to write yourself into a corner. Because you don't want your stories to be so cookie cutter, predictable, yes. you know, like that. So yeah, I, I mean, give it a shot and maybe it right. isn't for you, but I feel like a lot of times it can f- kind of free you up to try telling stories in new
0: ways. No, this is great. So besides writing organically, are there some other aspects of story that I, you made me a little curious here? Are there other aspects of story that that aren't as often taught? to our our writers?
1: One that comes to mind is really contingency and causality. So basically within a story, everything that happens is caused by the thing that precedes it. And it seems like most people would say, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. But they don't usually write that way. Mm. Um, So for instance, let's say you're writing and you say, she reached out with a trembling hand to lock the door. The killer was on the other side. Okay, so you, you could write that sentence or two sentences or whatever. She reached out with a trembling hand to lock the door. The killer was on the other side, but you wouldn't write that because her reaching out with a trembling hand is not what causes the killer to be on the other side of the door. So instead you would write, the killer was on the other side of the door with a trembling hand. She reached out to lock it. That's mm. moving cause to effect instead of right. effect to cause. So the first way you're basically giving an example of an action, then you're dropping back in time to explain why it occurred. Um, The second way, you're moving forward from one action naturally to the next. Instead of telling the story backwards, you're actually moving the story forward. So, um, you know, I just don't see anyone really teaching much on contingency, on causality. And so a lot of times in my seminars, I'll do quite a bit to actually delve into that just because it's not hardly ever taught. Also, pivots are very rarely taught. And so I, I talk a lot about pivots and causality and Some of these aspects of story that, you know, people have just maybe heard of, maybe not heard of, but probably never delved too deeply into before.
0: And I greatly appreciate you delving into this area. I am one of those people that if I'm sitting with my husband and we're watching a show and within the first five, 10 minutes of the show, I already know who did it. <laughs> and and I and I'm like okay. Then I start getting bored, and Sam will look at me. He goes, "You can't tell me you know who did it. You can't tell me that." And finally, he said, "Tell me who did it." And I go, "You you don't want to know who did it." He goes, "No, tell me." Oh, yeah, so I'd go. say, and I'd say, "All right, it was so and so, and this is how it happened." He goes, "There's no way you would know that." I said, "Okay." We get to the end, and he looks at me. Go, how did you know that? And I said, Well, if you go backwards and you're alert to everything that happens, they place everything in there. They're not Easter eggs. They place it in there and they're there for a reason. So if the camera pans here, or if the author writes this in, there's a reason. And if you stick with it and you stay within the, you know, the realm of the of the plot, you're going to figure it out. I really like when I come to the end of something and say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding Absolutely. me? Is that would happen. And then I go back and it's exactly what you said. I go, and there it was. Oh, that was yeah. so good. Oh, that was so good. So I I really enjoy that concept in a story because it's going to keep me coming back. I'm going to find you again and again as an author. And I'm going to say, I want more. I want to see if I can figure it out before you give it to me this time. So that's, that's I feel, great. Yeah,
1: I feel like... Yeah. I feel like it is super important. And it doesn't, uh, it's not just, um, you know, I write thrillers and suspense mostly. It's not just those types of stories. Really in every story, we want to write ourselves into a place at which all seems lost Mm. and then move out of that moment in a way that's unexpected and inevitable. So let's say, you know, you're writing a romance. And it gets to a moment in the story where readers are like, literally, there's no way they're going to get together. Like, I know they're going to get together and <laughs> kiss at the end or whatever, because of the you know genre it is. But they're like, I do not know how this couple is, everything is against them in this moment. It seems like there's no way. But a good story will bring them together, as mm. we hope, in a way that we don't anticipate. But later when we look at it, just as you said, oh, that totally makes sense. So this that's the pivot, really. And so without that pivot, um, you just will have a story. The story will land flat.
0: Yeah. We don't want a flat ending story. All right. Now you have said during our time here that you don't plot out your story. So if you don't plot out your story, how do you know what's going to happen next? Do you have a lot of different, you know, choose this ending, choose this ending. How do you you figure out what's going to happen next in your story?
1: I try to respond to what has happened already. So,
0: okay. The causality type of thing. Yeah. And I
1: know that, you know, stories will have certain, uh, you know, moments depending on the genre. So for instance, let's say I'm writing a crime thriller. Well, I know there's going to be a bad, you know, an antagonist, the bad guy or whatever, and he's going to be formidable. And so, I might early on introduce him in a way that shows how heartless or cold-hearted, whatever he is. Then your your protagonist will then look for clues. He'll try to solve the crime. He'll interview suspects and find dead ends. And maybe there'll be a love subplot. Maybe a chase in the middle. So. It isn't, you know. People will be like, "How do you write when you don't know what you're?" Well, I know what a story is, right? And the more that I understand story at its core, the -hmm. elements of a story, the more I understand the genre I'm writing in, the more I can understand certain expectations that we come to the story with. And so, just knowing those, I might say, "Okay, you know, I'm going to introduce. I I really want to develop a chase scene or whatever it is. And if this is the moment for that, then I'll include that." So. I guess I kind of lean toward the realm of Stephen King in on writing when he, you know, he kind of says like stories are present out there and it's your job to uncover them. The Arapaho people have a saying that every story that exists is out there already and when one finds you, it's your responsibility to tell it to the world. Ooh. That's kind of the way I look at it. Like when an idea finds me, I'm like, "All right, I am, you know, I feel like this is my job to you figure it out and share it and tell it to the world. And so, so I don't look at so much as the process of coming up with nothing, uh, you know, on a blank page, but, but instead following, uh, the thread of the narrative to wherever it logically, inevitably, you know, surprisingly might lead.
0: Mm. This is so good. Just off the wall question. How when you're working on a book and it's one of your suspense thriller, okay? How long does it take you on average from the concept to finished product?
1: I mean, usually I do a book a year. Uh, Some sometimes I've done two books. Um, Sometimes some books have taken me more than a year. But it's pretty tough for me to research, write, edit, proofread. You know, uh, maybe a five or even six hundred page book uh, in less than six months to a year. It, it, so right. It's, so it's, very rare that I could do anything faster than that. And, um, and so, you know, I guess I've, my first novel came out in 2006, I guess. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, 18 novels now and I'm working on Oof. number 19. And so, so, this is uh, great. yeah,
0: this is great. You know, of whence you speak Folks, this is powerful to be able to capture a concept that you haven't utilized yet. I hope you took notes. If not, come back and listen again. And we even have something extra special for you. We have an excellent listener giveaway. And folks, I'm going to tell you, I've already been out to the website and I'm I've downloaded what he is what what's available for you in the show notes, so you're going to love this. It's from your book, The Art of the Tale, and this is Harper Collins publisher. What you're going to find are four previews of Stephen's book. So, Stephen, would you tell us just a little bit about what they're going to find? And I do have the little titles here if you need those as a memory booster.
1: <laughs> sure. I don't remember exactly which excerpts would be on the site you're referencing, but you know, in The Art of the Tale. I do talk some about the very thing I spoke of today, and that is the story cube and mm-hmm. how to use it to tell stories. The book is really targeted for anyone who's a leader, a teacher, a speaker, minister, preacher, whatever it might be. When you have a story to tell, how can you tell that story you know, more effectively? And so, um, so I think that it's really going to be helpful for writers, especially uh, also for uh, storytellers and for speakers, Amen. anyone you know, anyone with a message and story. Uh, so just so that book would, uh yeah, be fun to check out.
0: Absolutely. I highly recommend it. And follow the links that we have in the show notes, you're going to want to go out there and see what's available. So tell us a little bit with the art of the tale. Does this go along with the other two books that you have? Well, the is, other two
1: are really, you know, craft books on writing. You know, okay. Trump structure is a little more theoretical. It's kind of my approach to understanding the movement of, of a story. Troubleshooting your novel, basically there's 80 short chapters that address every aspect of your novel from dialogue to tension to um, empathy with the characters and so on. So basically like three to four you know, page chapters that help you to identify problems you might have and then specific ways to fix those ok, so, if you have a work in progress or or a novel you've written, maybe you're like, "I just don't know. you know if it's ready to go out, I would definitely check that book out, you know, troubleshooting your novel.
0: This is true. Thank you so much, Stephen James, for being here on your best ride in life. So appreciate you.
1: well, I appreciate the chance to be here. and, and I wish all you and all your listeners the best best of success in the projects
0: that you have in your plate. Thank you very much. We do thank you, friends. I thank you for joining us. Please take a moment to share this podcast with another writer or two. Give us a star rating. Maybe post a review on an episode. This would be a great one to choose. And hit that subscribe button if you haven't done it already. I greatly appreciate what you have to say as much as what you choose to write. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I look forward to being with you next time on your best writing life.